got picked on at school for things he couldn't change. He tried his best to play it cool, but in the seventh grade, you either fit right in or you don't fit. That's just the cold hard truth. I wish that I'd have been the friend that Billy never knew. I think it's time to come together, you and I can make a change. Maybe we can make a difference, make the world a better place. Look around and love somebody, we've been hate for long enough. Let the good Lord reunite us to this country that we love's undivided. Yup. Welcome back. All right. Can I explain simply? I got to, you know, simply, maybe the simple explanation and the deeper, more complex explanation. So in simple terms, and I'm answering Chris's question, Chris in Virginia. Um, so in simple terms, you know, what do I mean by who's in charge, who decides? In simple terms, um, you know, ironically, maybe I could borrow from Ravi Zacharias. <laughs> he said, famously, Chinese proverb says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask the fish. Most Hindus know little about Hinduism scriptures or its development in dogma. Most Buddhists know little about Buddhism. Religion is much more a culture to most people than it is a carefully thought through system of truth. And this really kind of speaks to the heart of the whole America, you know, Christian nation or not. What is the religion? What is the religion leading culture, leading politics discussion? Anyway, um, so he goes on and he says, even Islam finds the same ignorance. Dare I say, Ravi Zacharias said, most Christians know very little about the teaching and history of their own beliefs. And uh, that's ironic because I think guys like Zacharias rely on that ignorance and naivete and apathy. It's, you know, how the wolves in sheep's clothing prey on the flock by that naivete. And I, I think, you know, as I think about these kinds of things, I think of guys like Paul and Peter and John and Moses and David, probably not a naive flock, probably not constituting a naive flock. So, um, the reason I mentioned Zacharias, uh, saying that is, you know, one, the irony of him saying it, but two, because, I think there's truth in that, and most people who call themselves Christians don't realize they may be beguiled. Jesus warns uh, in Matthew 24, among other places, that you know it's possible that this great deception is coming. See to it, he says, that you be not deceived. And um, there's a deception coming. For false Christ, in Matthew 24, 24, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Second Thessalonians 2, Fred and Iowa used to like to remind us of the strong delusion God will send upon them. Why? Interesting to note why. 
where is the heart? You know, um, I'll just go there. Second Thessalonians two. verse 9 starting verse 9 that is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of satan with all power and science and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish why because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved for this reason god will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false that's man if you think about that ooh. in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness and um, there are a number of ways i think in america that we could it's easy to make the argument we've taken pleasure in wickedness in let's just say i don't know the last 50 years that i've been alive but certainly beyond that so in simple terms who's in charge who decides means as a christian Particularly, specifically, we call ourselves Christians, we say, you know, I have um, been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But am I uh, in in the in the practical day to day decisions of my life? Am I appealing to Him? For guidance, you know, Proverbs says the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So sure, we're supposed to make plans, but, you know, and Jesus tells the story of the rich man who says, you know what, I've done pretty darn well. You know what we'll do? I'm going to tear down these barns and storehouses, and we're going to build new stuff, we're going to do all this stuff. And he says, you fool, this, this night your soul will be required of you. And um, so, you know. What does it profit a man that he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? How much of this stuff do we take before the Lord, practically speaking? So in my example before when I said, um, we, we have a group of Christians that we get together and we say, there's, you know, we have trouble in this world. Yesterday I gave an example I think a prime illustration of how schizophrenic we are in this society. We hear everywhere, it's the last day of Black History Month. Maybe this is appropriate for that. We hear everywhere, racism, racism, but it's funny, you know, the voices that you would think, the credentialed academic voices in that demographic are not saying that. You know, the Thomas Souls, the Walter E. Williams, the Candace Owens, the Jason Whitlocks, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. They're not saying that. Um, quite the contrary. It's a different message. So that's interesting. But let's just pretend that racism is systemic. Where's it coming from? Probably the public schools and other places that are teaching uh, Darwinism and that that brand of evolution. What do you mean? Well, no one was more racist than Darwin. The idea of races uh, itself is anti-God, anti-Christian, because the Bible says we're all descendants of Adam. He was the first Adam, 
and through him sin entered into the world, into all men. And so we have a sin problem. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, is our propitiation. If we will receive the free gift that is offered to us. And so that's the story from the first Adam to the last Adam. And then there's, you know, the rest of us, what will you do? So Darwin says, no, there are like 37 different races and stuff. Forget Adam. There's all this stuff. Some of these people are irredeemable. So we might as well tell them they're biologically inferior and therefore they must die. And some of us are, pretty fantastic and we should start inbreeding because you know we want to keep the fantastic people going and get rid of the human weeds as someone like margaret sanger might say so teaching that stuff in school and then saying that we're outraged that people who have been propagandized in that fashion behave in in a manner keeping with their their instruction we're outraged. Why are they acting like this? I'm not saying that's what's happening, but that's the message we're getting that, oh my gosh, systemic racism. Well, if there is systemic racism, it's probably coming from the public schools. And, you know, I had a conversation with a dear friend last night. He says, why, what's going on in the universities? It's radical Islam. And I said, who's funding it? Where's it coming from? Why is it being allowed? Look up Omar Aziz's article that I've mentioned a million times on this broadcast, Yale Law School student at the time, who says, I'm outraged that Yale has allowed a Saudi billionaire to make a $10 million grant to Yale for Islamic studies, so-called. When in reality, it's going to be Wahhabi studies. This guy's a terrorist or maybe one degree removed from the terrorists and the arms traffickers. Makes a $10 million grant. And when it happened, and I talked about it on this broadcast, I said, maybe I'm wrong. Let's wait and see. Let's see what these graduates write. And sure enough, you know, they sound like radical jihadis who graduated from Yale. The higher up you go in the academic circles, the worse it gets. So that those people can go out from wherever they graduate and infect the minds of others. This is what's happening, and it's insane to think that if you're training people that way, they're not going to act that way. You know, I keep thinking of the interview that, uh, you know, Candace Owens interviewing Dinesh, talking about this stuff, and um, the poster child in this case, uh, poster children, um, speaking of uh you know young people who graduate from these kinds of institutions were the um you know the firebombing kids Collinford Mattis and Aruj Rahman Ivy League law students who ruin their lives in a moment because they are responding to the propaganda the message that they have received They were programmed to receive, as the song says. And they did. They received and they responded. Which gets back to the other thing, Jacques Ellul, but I think that I'm 
sort of muddying the waters here and getting ahead of myself. So who's in charge? Who decides? You know, in Christian terms, it's real simple. For for the Christian, it's real simple. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. And the God of this world is the one who is the, um, you know, he orchestrates the little marionette show, the puppet show, in ways that most people don't perceive. Charles Baudelaire, old school bad guy, Charles Baudelaire, famously wrote, the finest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist, which was paraphrased in the usual suspects. The finest trick, the, de- the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist or he didn't exist. And so for the Christian, you're either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. Christian is the slave to Christ, but practically speaking in the day-to-day affairs, how do we appeal to the God of heaven? How do we make our plans, but invite the Lord in to direct our steps? And I've said before, you know, a practical litmus test is if you're never hearing no, you're either the most saintly person who's ever lived or hmm, more likely you're probably not checking in. You're not offering your plans up to the Lord of hosts, the God of heaven, the Lord God almighty. You're taking matters into your own hands. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5, this is the first deception, Genesis 3. And it worked so well, it got Adam and Eve out of paradise, walking with God, probably still a pretty effective strategy. And it seems to be working very well. Our undergirding religion in America is this humanistic thing that puts man above everything. Man is God. It's the apotheosis of Washington in all of us. Ye shall be as gods. And it it plays on our natural fleshy tendencies that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 that I read about earlier. So who's in charge, who decides is simple. I say I'm a Christian. My life is surrendered to the Lord. You know, I'm saved by grace through faith. But practically speaking, how how does that look moment to moment? Who's in charge of this decision? Who's in charge, who decides? It's supposed to be a rhetorical question, but far too often... Uh, it's not rhetorical for the Christian who's in charge, who decides clearly means it's, it's God. It's by the power of the Holy spirit. He's leading and guiding. And so back to, um, if you're not hearing, no, if you're not hearing, no, chances are, you're not offering those plans. You know, again, Proverbs, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So if we've planned our way, but we're not offering those plans up to, you know, the ultimate central planning committee, (laughs) so to speak, that's a poor analogy. But, you know, the Lord God Almighty, if we don't say, what do you think, Lord? Yes or no? 
if we don't do that, then of course we never hear no. Who wants to hear no anyway? But if you're doing that a fair amount of time, you're going to hear no or not yet or not now or something like that or nothing. Which doesn't mean proceed ahead. It means proceed with caution or not at all. Wait on the Lord. Wait patiently on him and his timing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Praise God. There's a pay grade that's infinitely beyond ours. We can't understand it all. We can't know it all. Jesus said, no man knoweth the hour, not even the sun. It's reserved to the Father alone. That's interesting. So, who's in charge, who decides, means, as a Christian, am I, practically speaking, am I surrendering myself and and plans moment to moment to him to lead? If I don't do that, I never hear no. which is interesting. And we've been convinced that this counterfeit is um, something that uh, is a legitimate alternative. I mentioned sociocracy in the last segment of the last hour, I think, or maybe the segment before that one. Chris asked me to explain. Um, Sociocracy is the idea of Everyone has a voice. We all voice our opinion. And I've said when I've talked about this, it's it's a clever counterfeit because there's influence at work in the group. There are influencers. That's undeniable. You know, Pareto figured that out. Price and Price's Law. You know, these guys know that someone is influencing, but in ways that we lie to ourselves, we have these biases that we don't realize. Do we want to say... You know, that I am, uh, you know, subordinate to this guy or that guy. Do we want to say these things or do we want to tell ourselves, no, we're free. No, I decide for myself. Obviously, the biases get the best of us and people who know those things and play upon them and even prey upon them take advantage of people in ways that they don't even perceive. Exploiting those Uh, biases in a way that people don't perceive. And again, if you don't see it, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. This gets into the the deeper waters that I alluded to of, um, you know, Kahneman and Tversky's work on attribute substitution, um, you know, regression toward the mean, the Galton board, or Galton box and you know uh, this is the same kind of stuff that Hitler wrote about in Mein Kampf propaganda to the lowest common denominator what Bernays et al. has done what Walter Lippmann said what um, Young wrote you know all the herd guys but most of us don't see it so it remains it remains magic stick around we'll be right back
fond of blackout coffee and I started uh, blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Sun Tzu observed a long, long time ago 
if you know your enemies and you know yourself, you will not be imperiled basically in any battle. You'll not be imperiled in a hundred battles. He also observed that all warfare is based on deception. He also said that to subdue the enemy without fighting is the acme of skill. And what's really ironic about subduing the enemy without fighting is do they even know they're being subdued? This obviously calls to mind psychological operation, psychological warfare. So, you know, how, how would we know that was happening? We were being subdued without fighting. How would we know? Or if we were being subdued by uh, being seduced to fight with one another, how would we know? Again, in Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus discreetly, the Olivet Discourse, as they say, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This is apocalyptic. This is eschatological, you might say. And he prefaces his response by saying, see to it. Verse 4 says, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it. There's action involved there. It's not passively sitting by and, you know, there's active participation here. See to it that no one misleads you. Etc. 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 Verse twenty-four: For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. How will we know? That's. I think that's a very sobering message. How would we know if all warfare is based on deception? If we're being deceived. Do we need to play the clip of uh, Malcolm X? I think we do. Media manipulation. Don't let your enemy define terms. Maybe we should play that. I'll get that ready. Anyway, don't let your enemy define terms. Who's in charge? Who decides? Is practically speaking... I say that I am the Lord's. I say that, you know, I belong to him, that he redeemed me, that I am saved by grace through faith. But practically speaking, in the day-to-day affairs of one's life, who's in charge, who decides? Am I being influenced and persuaded and persuaded, Robert Cialdini, more by the siren song of the world than by surrendering my plans and myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the primary influence coming? Who's in charge? Who decides? When I make a decision, I guess, you know, the the context of this came really from... Um, The distinction between communism and Acts chapter 2. And like I, like I explained, you know, for me, that's where it came from. So like I explained earlier, 
uh, in today's broadcast. It's it's a meta level distinction, and it it's a it's a thing that pierces the veil. Basically, yes, I'm doing these things. I'm the one taking action. But where is the influence coming from that leads and guides and directs that action? Am I actively, intentionally surrendering those plans to God Almighty and waiting patiently on the Lord to direct my steps? Or, you know, are we getting together and in sociocratic fashion, everyone has a voice except God, you know, in all of the sociocratic planning exercises that you see, you have a round table, you go around the table, guess who's not at the table? Because it's usually a godless bunch who are advocating for the sociocratic method, which is really... You know, it's a it's an insidi- it's an insidi- an insidious sinister form of um, the Delphi technique, making us our own Delphi agents against ourselves. Anyway, stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition which was so serious, he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable, he tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. Or visit extendivite.com. That's X T E N D O V I T E.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. What would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive! Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com, and hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. 
Go to republicbroadcasting.org, smash that donate button like Russian peacekeepers smashing through the Azov neo-Nazi terrorists in the Donbass. I don't think you can explain politics without looking at Jewish power any more than you can explain physics without dealing with gravity. 9-11 was a jointly conducted covert operation that involved multiple states, the Saudis, the Israelis, and what you could call the deep state in the cool, United with States. anti-Semitic remarks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're jiggling juice, we used to say, the, uh, the dancing Israelis. Uh, so even the Republicans now are compromising, and they're pushing issues that are destructive to the white race. They would always say, like, are we just going to talk about this stuff on the radio? Like, what are we going to do about it? Either we force the democracy to work by actually getting the ballot access, getting the candidates, getting in office, getting our message out there to the people, or we expose just how undemocratic it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns. And thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going for speed She's all alone All alone in a time of need Because he's racing and pacing And plotting the course He's fighting and fighting And riding on his horse He's going the distance Welcome back. Spencer Smith did a couple of interesting videos recently. One was um, what Dune, the Third Adam, and coming Mahdi, Mahdi, Mahdi. I think is how it's pronounced. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. That video, Dune, the Third Adam, and coming Mahdi, uh, is an interesting one that deals with this messaging that's coming through media and entertainment propagandizing people in ways that they don't even perceive and it's happening in plain sight and these techniques have been studied for a long long time but very scientifically refined in the last say 200 years or so you can read about it in the public domain most of it's not secret you know um I mean, you have the the um, pedestrian stuff, Bernays, Walter Lippmann, and um, you know that kind of stuff, or you know Vance Packard stuff, or um, you know the more academic <clears throat> kind of you know stuff. Maybe you know Biderman and Zimmer, the manipulation of human behavior, for example. It's all over the place. Um, the CIA's what Kubark memo, I think it was, and then the more recent, um, 
educing information, interrogation, uh, science, and art, blah, blah, blah. You know, drawing on a lot of that older stuff, you know, the the spooky alphabet soup community is very interested in this. I wonder why. Manipulating people in ways that they don't perceive or understand. The attribution problem, I'm getting to that. I feel like, you know, it was supposed to be a simple explanation, but it's everywhere and it touches everything. So, I don't know. Maybe it's the mark of a I don't know, whatever you want to say, not unintelligent, but a lesser mind that can't reduce it and simplify it. Basically, you know, who's in charge, who decides when you look at the first example was Acts chapter two compared to communism and socialism. When someone like Raphael Warnock says the early church was socialist, they had all things in common. Is it true the early church was socialist? No. I think most Christians would say absolutely not. But can you say why? Can you articulate why not? Can you substantiate your claim or your position? And the answer is who's in charge, who decides. As I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, obviously in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is who's in charge and who's deciding, who's influencing, who's who's impressing it upon the hearts of men to do a thing. That's substantiated in Acts 5 when Peter confronts Ananias and Sapphira, as I mentioned earlier. And he says, he doesn't say, why did you lie to me? Why did you lie to the apostles? He said, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And he said, specifically, you did not lie to men, you lied to God. That's not the state. Socialism, communism, that's all the state. It's state coercion. People are willingly doing things with open hearts in the book of Acts. This is the Pentecostal moment, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's good that I go, Jesus said, I will send the helper. And sure enough, it was good. But if we're not leaning into that, you know, influence and persuasion, we'll say, for lack of a better way to put it, that's that's not the best way to put it, but if the Holy Spirit is not the one influencing us, then ultimately who's in charge? Who's deciding? Who's influencing our actions? So, you know, is Acts, the book of Acts, you know, is the, is the church that you read about in, in the book of Acts socialist? No. How do you make the distinction? You, you distinguish by who's in charge, who decides. In socialism, the state's in charge, coercing people to do a thing. Does anyone really own anything? Well, not really, technically, because, you know, the administrative state says all your base are belong to us. All your property are belong to us. We just let you hang on to it and manage it, you know, on our behalf. And you have cases like Wickard versus Filburn that substantiate that. Administrative state has always said, no, actually, you know, 
when the state creates rights and individuals against itself, it is not bound to provide a remedy in the courts and it may withhold all remedy or may provide an administrative remedy and make it exclusive, however mistaken its exercise. So you back up what's the beginning of that. When the state creates rights and individuals against itself. Wait a minute. The state has some balance sheet? From whence does it derive? From whence do the rights and individuals derive that the state issues against itself? The state is not a living creature. But, you know, you have all these guys. The utopians all say we should worship the state. So who's in charge? Who decides is the meta level distinction of what is actually influencing my decisions here? Have I hit my knees and prayed about it? Are you supposed to do that all the time? Well, I mean... I don't know. I guess it's a personal decision, but in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, I read, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And then this, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive. Does every mean every? I think so. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Hmm. So yeah, I guess every thought taken captive to the obedience of Christ. I've probably overcomplicated it. And it should just be simple. Who's in charge, who decides, means who's actually behind the decision I'm making. Who's influencing? If I'm piercing the veil, you know, which... Is it the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world who's influencing my decisions? Or have I hit my knees and appealed to the God of heaven? Please, Lord, I've made my plans. Please direct my steps. Please help me avoid missteps and offending you. In 2 Corinthians 11, the next chapter... It's interesting, you know, Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me and a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband so that Christ, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We have to do a thing. We're hearing, you know, action everywhere. Action, action. And, you know, the reason I mentioned Spencer Smith's video, Dune the Third Adam and Coming Mahdi, is because he talks about the messaging that says, you know, we got to oppose, you know, it's it's just getting everyone whipped into a froth. And, you know, we got to do something. We got to do something. And it's uniting people basically against the Lord Jesus Christ and his return and the horde that you read about in Psalm 2. And um, so that's not good. But um, in 
it's simple. You know, who's who's ultimately in charge? Who who decides? You know, back to the Jacques Ellul connection, the propaganda connection, the way that we don't see the the hidden hand shaping things in ways that we don't see. I mean, there's the mystical side of things. George Foreman told the story in his younger days about how there was a voice whispering to him, you know, you can just go home. You can, you can always go home when he lost to Ali. Um, the first time and he was devastated. Uh, he said that there was a voice that started whispering in his head, you know, you can just go home. You can go home. And finally the voice started saying, you can go home and die. And he was like, that's weird. Where did that come from? And, this got louder and louder and more frequent. And finally, you know, the voice said something like, you know, just die. And uh, this was on, I think, the ESPN, you know, Beyond the Glory episode for Foreman. I think he told the story and I think he's told it other times. But, you know, he says, all of a sudden he feels like he's fallen over and dying and he cried out, Jesus saved me. And that changed everything in a moment. So in a woo-woo sense, you know, some people can relate to you're not really paying attention and then all of a sudden you're paying attention and you go, wait a minute, what is that? Where is that coming from? I don't, you know, that's why I pray the full armor. I think if you put on the armor, that kind of nonsense goes away, I would say entirely. But then there's the more practical, you know, the materialistic you know, the not metaphysical, the materialist version of this. Jacques Ellul said very frequently propaganda is described as a manipulation for the purpose of changing idea or opinions of making individuals believe some idea or fact. And finally, of making them adhere to some doctrine, all matters of the mind. It tries to convince, to bring about a decision to create of firm adherence to some truth. This is completely, this is a completely wrong line of thinking. He wrote, <coughs> excuse me. And he said, the aim of modern propaganda is no longer to modify ideas, but to provoke action. It is no longer uh, to change adherence to a doctrine, but to make the individual cling irrationally to a process of action. It is no longer to transform an opinion, but to arouse an active and mythical belief. And by the way, this happens in ways that we don't perceive. You know, back to the movies that I mentioned. You can watch it, and there it is, but we don't see it. Elul also said the orchestration of press, radio, and television uh, to create a continuous, lasting, and total environment renders the influence of propaganda virtually unnoticed precisely because it creates a constant environment back to the chinese proverb if you want to know what water is don't ask the fish so on that note uh can we play malcolm x media manipulation please that's what they're always telling you never let your enemy tell you how how uh how many of you there are Never let the man that you're against form your opinions. This is the trick that's played on everyone who's oppressed. 
The first thing, an occupation, uh, when you have a revolution in the country, the first thing you take over is the radio. And then you start telling the people that everybody, the war is over. And, 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 and so all of them surrender. No, they believe that thing right there. And once they take that over, they start telling you uh, where you are and where they are, and you fall right in line. It's plain thought control. The majority of the American people aren't segregationists. That the majority of the American people aren't imperialists. But the government is. The structure is. The power faction is. So, what, how, how then do all the majority go along with it? Because those who sit in power over the television, over the radio, and over the press is constantly telling those who are the masses how free they are. And how, and how, how this they are and how that they are. There's that. We need to go to the phones, but before we do that, can we play just a little bit of the other one? Another one, uh, speaking of Malcolm X, this clip from Broadcast Houston on YouTube is titled, Malcolm X Claims Celebrities Are Used as Political Puppets in Order to Control the Masses. Can we play a little bit of that, please? Now, uh, concerning the uh, poll taken by Newsweek magazine, I think you said that this was the leader's who said that, uh, who went with King and against Mr. Muhammad around 90%. I just told you a little while ago, these leaders that they call leaders, this included Lena Horne, this included Dick Gregory, and this included comedians, comics, trumpet players, baseball players. Show me in the white community where a comedian is a white leader. Show me in the white community where a singer is a white leader, or a dancer or a trumpet player is a white leader. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns that uh, have been set up over the white community and or over the black community by the white community and have been made celebrities and usually say exactly what uh, they know that the white man wants to hear. And it is an honor, actually, that they endorsed Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, uh, were against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That's actually an honor. Now, when you say that they also... In the same Newsweek poll magazine, they, I think the pollster said that he went into the Negro community and asked about the Muslims. And many Negroes whom he asked said, well, I never heard of the Muslims. Who are they? You know, this is the rank and file we're talking about. Oh, yeah. About. Now, yeah. when they got down to the rank and file, this was the answers that they got. Uh, this is equivalent to uh, the situation in Kenya during the Mau Mau uprising when many uh, frightened uh, whites in Kenya, Africa, would go among the Africans and ask them, what about the Mau Mau? And the African would say, I never heard of them. And the same white man who would ask the African this question and very naively believe what the African said, when he went to bed that night, he would lose his head. And usually the one who took his head was the same African who told him that afternoon he had never heard of the Mau Mau. Uh, except uh, in the Newsweek poll, they used Negro interviewers. You'll find that oftentimes Negroes are as much on guard uh, around Negro interviewers who usually represent the bourgeois uh, element of Negroes as they are on guard around whites. Uh, usually Negroes know that when this bourgeois Negro walks through the door, he is not doing something that he's initiated himself, but he's involved in something in which the white man is the absolute author of and has sent him to the Negro community for some information. And when they give that Negro some information, usually they give him the information that they want the white, want him to take back to the white man because that's who he's going to take it back to. All right. So um, 
you know, we're running out of time. I want to go to the phones. How many of those people that he's talking about, by the way, are Boulay members or Prince Hall Masons? How many of the guys who were Southern uh, Christian Leadership Conference, how many of them were Boulay and or Prince Hall Masons? Um, one of the guys who I think has done a good job of unpacking some of the stuff that Malcolm X is talking about recently is Chad O. Jackson. So if you're not familiar, look up his uh, YouTube channel, for example. Anyway, um, let's go to the phones. Max in New York, thanks for calling. Welcome. Hey, uh, <clears throat> I thought it was uh, important enough, so uh, I interrupt this uh, program for an emergency broadcast. Here are the latest updates and details about the fires raging in North Texas. Yeah. The Smokehouse Creek fire has scorched more than 850,000 acres since igniting on Monday. As of now, it's only 3% contained, and it has quickly become the second largest wildfire in Texas history. Governor Abbott issued a disaster declaration for 60 counties. City of Border Public Information Officer Brandon Strope confirms there has been one fatality from Texas wildfires. No mm -hmm. other information, including the county, was given. The fire has spread north to Oklahoma, and more than 30,000 acres have burned in Oklahoma, according to OK Forestry Services. I figured since you guys were in Texas, and I got this just off Substack about an hour ago, I have to let you guys know that this has been reported I uh, probably need some confirmation from other people, but this sounds uh, fairly serious and resolute. Have you heard anything? Uh, as far as what? In addition to what you just said? Yes. No, I, I have not. I don't know more. But, you know, every crisis will be, you know, an opportunity of crisis. We know that. Well, it's a, it sounds like a pretty dangerous thing, and since Arbian's located down there, I don't know what proximity they are to these fires. <clears throat> they say northern Texas, so <clears throat> yeah, I think you guys are a little south. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It just sounds pretty serious. Uh, smoke alone is really bad, and uh, <clears throat> not to mention all the other garbage that goes up the petroleum, the plastic, and what other chemicals are in that smoke. You know, yeah. this all comes up here into the east, and we can't go out for days. And wood smoke is not good for the lungs and the heart. That's a fact. So I wanted to uh, give you that emergency broadcast and uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you very much. Much appreciated, sir. Truly. Yeah, that's that's important information. So thank you for that. Uh, in the interest of time, back to the phones. Brian in Washington, thanks for calling. Welcome. Hey, on Ingrid Castle's show, she was having a guest on uh, describing how we can uh, save ourselves from Wi-Fi EMFs a few weeks ago. Oh, Ingrid, you should do five shows on this. Well, Jenna's going to take over on March 9th. And it's through efforts like RBN and definitely Chris Hinckley, her two guests have decided to come on together, Dr. Martin Paul and Kevin McCarran. They both said, you know, what? well, what do we have to do with each other, or won't we just argue the importance of 
uh, this compartmentalized opinion versus mine. And I said, you know, this, this is what uh, the problem is. We need to look into the wide variety. And I heard you mention the Protestants earlier, well, being Irish Catholic and the big setup of incorporating Protestants into the Emerald Isle is not lost on my history. And then I have to go to the uh, Ken Kesey book, Sometimes a Great Notion, in the book, not the movie. It's a Stokes family from back east, and they're creating a Huguenot cooperative. They have connections with all the ships, so when the merchandise comes into this little tiny startup logging town, the Stoke family guy has a interconnection, what, what Lark would say, uh, a syndicalist arrangement up against the small independent. And for that reason, I think we need to uh, keep understanding that, like Edmund Burke said, if those that are coming up against us have organized, then damn right we need to do the same. See, this, was, this is exactly what I'm talking about, though, and who's in charge, who decides. And is, isn't it interesting how the Huguenot connection doesn't make it into the movie? Funny that, but um, who's in charge, who decides? You know, if we, if we organize, what does that mean? And for the Christian, I would say there's no disputing that it's the Lord God Almighty and the Holy Spirit that lead the organizing. The that was the distinction I was trying to make, so anyway. The link to Kermeo Ahu is in your chat room. And right on. He, he talks about the Huguenots and the Moors and the cryptos. And we, we need to get knowledge up on this, and I think uh, he, he'd gladly come on. Thanks so much for taking the call, Chris. Thank you, Brian. Much appreciated. That'll do it for today's broadcast. I hope that my simple explanation that took, I don't know, a long time explained Who's in charge? Who decides? Hopefully it's making sense. I hope it was informative, perhaps even edifying. As always, it truly is an honor and a pleasure. Take care. God bless. We'll catch you on the other side. One of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. 
free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash rbn. You're listening to Real Talk Radio, only on the Republic Broadcasting Network. 